0: spending time, fighting fires, keeping the lights on, have now just been unappreciated by one or two sentences. And you think, you know, that's, that's that's a shame because you've probably got a really talented person there. If leadership focused strongly on looking after them, they could really be that next next leader of the organization, you know. But uh, these things happen, and these are things that can cause burnout. You're listening to KBK. Cal-
1: a cybersecurity podcast for all executives, cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now here's your host, Carissa Breen. So Ann, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here because I know that we've been following each other on social media for a while and we, we spoke a few weeks back and you just had such an interesting point of view. About your thoughts in the market and I don't know if we're going to get into that a little bit more today but one of the things I really like about that you said you were very honest in your approach and you sort of just you just call a spade a spade so I really appreciate you being like that and, that, and that's really a, a, a key reason why we want people like yourself on the show to be able to give real answers to real questions so welcome
0: thank you thank you for having me really excited to uh, be on the show today
1: So so, um, before we sort of get into the nitty-gritty of things, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So please talk our listeners through where you started to where you are now.
0: Sure. Thank you. My career has um, initially started from uh, broad IT management roles. I I ended up uh, going up the track naturally from engineer type roles and then into an IT management role. I worked for smaller companies than international companies. Uh, some of these turned out to be different industries, management, consultancy, retail, um, and account finance, a lot of finance, financial services type of companies. Now, during that time, what I found was, as well as working with different industries in this broad IT management role, I uh, found that my confidence was growing as well by spending time with these organizations who were growing by acquisition and mergers. And in that time, testing the knowledge that I continue to learn. As my confidence grew, and what I delivered for these organizations grew, I also observed the area that I, that, that I care about the most. Uh, information security also evolved into becoming a much more of a standalone role. And we have all these roles out here today, these career pathways out today. And I specialized in information security career, realizing that actually, even in IT, in IT management, It was a massive part of everything i did in acquisitions and mergers connecting organizations together thinking about their data thinking about what matters most to them and how they work with it and how they need to continue to work with it as new partners meet new partners so i specialized in uh, information security and moved to a charity a very very old charity followed by one of uk's fastest growing airports recently property management company uk's largest again very different it's been a case where I've found that mastering my craft, which is never done, it's continuing and it still continues today. Right, the continuous mastery of it, and the more you do it, the more the more confidence you grow. the uh, The way, the more you realise you can tailor it to any organisation, and that's that's a really unique thing, I think.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because what what you just said then is mastering your craft. Would you say that? This is obviously your philosophy, and I get that, and I appreciate that. Would you say other people don't really think like that at all, though?
0: Yes, it's, it's, uh, it's very much the case. I mean, I think people, everyone, if everyone thinks about um, how good they want to be at what they do, and they think about what approach shall I take to get there, then mastering their craft, continuous knowledge, continuous improvement... In various areas, it's really important. And if we don't think about all of those things, then you open yourself up to weakness, challenges, perhaps uh, blockers in your organization because everything's different. Every organization is different. And you can find yourself not finding successful outcomes when you do that.
1: So I just want to go on that point a little bit deeper. Would you say that certain people have this theory that they've learned enough and they don't have to do, like you said, continuous learning, continuous improvement, Uh, they're then building more confidence in their practice. Would you say that's the case? And if so, why is that the case?
0: Yes, it's very, very common. There is to start off with a very simple one to highlight, which is there is the, the, the percentage of people that will go to university and follow a university track, study whatever it is they're going to study, and then after that go into their job line. Now, their career from that point onwards might evolve different directions. They might even specialize and maybe they come into security or privacy after something else. Whatever they do, they feel that, well, that was it. I did that. Everything else is just on the job learning. But the thing is, with that approach, where is the uh, governance framework that you know ensures that they stick with it? You know, state that they follow a particular methodolog- methodological approach to everything that they do. It becomes. It becomes um, self-taught in some way and has risks of not being completely accurate. Or, you know, it doesn't address the needs of an organization, let alone their own careers. It's like the discipline was perfect before, and then it just takes a more relaxed approach. That's one percentage of people. Uh, the, other, the other is that a lot of people think that they don't need to. They just think that, okay, well, you know what? There's people who go and they, they qualify, they sit exams and... and, and and they do that, and they need a badge to get a job, and there's people that also don't. You don't have to do it. You don't need a badge to do this. You don't need to have qualifications to get a job. And, you know, when you find a lot of these conversations online, you see that it becomes quite hard-lined. You know, there's, there's this side and there's that side. But my view on this is that it shouldn't be. The reality is I'm not saying you have to have a badge to go and get a job or you must go and get 10 badges to get a job. But what I am saying is, What is it you want to do? Be clear on that. Once you know exactly what you want to do, think about all the things that can benefit you. And it could be experience. It could be talking to fellow professionals like yourself right here, right now on this podcast. It could be participating in the industry. It could also be getting a badge, a particular badge that you continuously contribute to maintain. And that's, that's the key thing, right? So knowing what you want that helps you in your job is really key.
1: That's so true. Yeah, this is that definitely that hard-lined position of people that go around on LinkedIn, like I don't care about certs or people that are like, I really care about certs and things like that. So I totally appreciate that point of view. And I guess it's interesting because it sort of sets up the conversation about what we're going to get into today, which is enduring security careers. Now, as we are well aware, it's known that cybersecurity professionals are burnt out more than ever, probably because we are lacking in a lot of the talent we do have or that we don't have enough of the right upskilled talent. And then I guess it's even harder then to retain that talent uh, because they're exhausted or they get a better job elsewhere, whatever that may be. So how do we sort of endure our careers? And what do you mean when you sort of say that?
0: Yeah, I think it's about... Um following, a, following a, a formal path with everything that we do. If we think about when you manage a project, you track it, there's various tools that one uses to track and deliver a project on time. Is it still a value? Did it work out? In reality, everything we do in life is the same. And if we think about in our careers, personally and also in an organization, in these roles, if we think about planning things so that it's strategic there's long-term goals, mid-term goals, and short-term goals. And they all feed into each other. And you measure them for success. Are they mat- Do they matter to you? Are they achieving? Are they delivering? Do they matter to your employer? Are they achieving? Are they delivering? And you keep doing it. It helps. Because then you know when the challenging times come. When the execs, for example, get tired of listening to the same story. How do, you, how do you twist it? How do you change it? How do you change the angle so that it grabs their attention and it matters to them now? And that's a, the that's a thing, right? And during our careers is about building strong networks, staying focused on those goals, you know, being calm, clear and concise. Now it's hard. Sometimes you're in an organization and faces change. We talked about cybersecurity roles and people coming in and out of these roles a lot right now. It's like that bubble of open employment gap that is never is never ending well it's it's but i think the burnout's got a lot to do with that because people are coming in and out of roles so there's still roles to be filled continuously the thing is when that happens and things change in an organization and colleagues that you have built you build strong networks with that form part of your big security steering committee your groups and all that kind of stuff when they come and go and you have to build new strong allies you just got to keep focusing on what matters most and do those. And it's a repeat, but clear, concise, calm, and communicate collaboratively across all the time.
1: So when you talk about building strong networks, I absolutely agree. I mean, I probably wouldn't be where I am today with the people that are that I know, that are alongside me, that I work with, that are my colleagues and clients and things like that. So I'm a very big believer in that and nurturing these people and actually caring about them because they are human beings at the end of the day. So... Why would you say people wouldn't sort of adopt this strategy? Now, whether it's you're uh, in an internal role and you need to build strong networks because you've got a huge security department that you need to get people, you need to get things from, or whether it's you're on the vendor side of things and and you're looking to, to build your network for selling your product, for example. Why do you think people don't value this as much as I think that they should value this?
0: I think it comes down to that burnout element again. What are the things that cause a burnout? And um, there's several elements and, and we you know I, I mentioned that people who you build networks with move and are not always there to that to in, in you know next quarter who are here today. Things like that. But also if we think about this thing which I, I came to get familiar with, it's a it's a it's a kind of metric, you could say. It's uh, often seen as a hundred ten one. Now, that sort of means that in any organization of about 100 people, there's about 10 support staff. Of course, this is flexible, but there could be one security professional. So then you can see that now the support staff, the minority is the security professional. Now, every organization may have a variable to those figures. It could be 50, 10, 1, could be one hundred, ten, one, 1, or even more. The reality is that if you're a minority and we know that our threat landscape keeps growing, new threats, new risks, I mean, we hear about a breach every week. Almost every day, probably, right? So with these things happening, the worry from our, uh, you know, our, our execs, our strong stakeholders, the people that want to know about how security is doing, what our posture is, pressures are strong, but investment isn't showering down all the time. The money we need to add automation into remediating things to build automated security operation centers and things like that, add staff headcount, that's not growing all the time, not at the same rate. So people get burned out because of this, the amount of work that they do. And I I think what's really important is drawing the line. It's got to be done because, after all, if something goes wrong and it's the organization's fault, the CEO could end up in court. He knows that and we know that. And we shouldn't lose sight of that. So the reality is if security professionals draw the line in a work-life balance to make sure that they're refreshed and are able to continue to be developed and bring relevance into the room in every conversation, then it keeps the ball in the right place, and we will always still have that attention from the people who need to listen. But the burnout risk is there when we find so many security professionals working countless hours round the clock because they're showing their commitment, they're showing their loyalty, they keep the, right, the lights on. Apart from the pat on the back, you know it's. It's not enough, not for their health, it's not good, and also it will cause burnout eventually.
1: So is what you're saying that you think that there needs to probably be more, I guess, awareness from executives around what the security team are doing so that they feel appreciated perhaps? Would you say that that's what would be a significant driver?
0: Yes, I think it's how we we report it really helps. When you think about... um, how we report the threats the volume of threats and what we're investing in and the return on investment from those investments as well as how much work we have to do you know and uh, what that is how long it takes transparency is key you know we use these words in in uh, security technologies and stuff like that i guess all these vendors who are creating something new they always like to say you know transparency from the software let you see everything insider risk and all that stuff that's all that's all good but the reality is we be we be transparent we stay away from silo driven approaches and you know i think security is one of those roles that actually is potentially one of the biggest collaborators it needs to be uh, as opposed to it for example you know if we take i know security often doesn't always sit in it and that's okay because every organization is different and it makes sense in many ways to do it differently as specifically different types of roles but You can take IT teams who do things like infrastructure or something else. They have their specialty. There's a very clear line drawn what they do, and it's theirs. And once work comes in their direction, it's theirs, and they do it. So there is, you know, even the the possibility of a healthy bubble of what they do. I won't call it a silo because if it's fairly managed, then it's okay because they're keeping their stakeholders updated of what they're doing. But in security, if we're... You know, every every good security framework says collaborate, create security champions, deliver it collectively. Be the subject matter expert or thought leader of your area. If this is the case, we can't deliver anything without everybody else. So that's important for our execs to know that you know, three security professionals in a team in an organization of six thousand employees responsible for two hundred and fifty thousand customers publicly identifiable information is you know that's a big weight
1: yeah you're absolutely right so do you think that executives are just not purely aware like then there's no malice behind oh you know we didn't we didn't sort of praise our security team enough do you think it sort of comes from a place of naivety though
0: yes absolutely uh, to a degree you know it, i think that's the best way to look at it because in in reality you know it's we we take to our leadership um, problems with with plans right don't just deliver a problem. We tell them what the situation is, what what we're doing about it, and what we need from them. If as long as those three key things are in every every communication factor with them, then I think it helps. Uh, if you don't give them the full picture, then you know they've got a business to run.
1: Yeah, I can definitely understand that. So one of the things you mentioned was it fifty ten one or was it 100-10-1?
0: Yes, it's a variable in any organization. Uh, It was often referred to as fifty ten one, and uh, I'm 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 hearing this often used as hundred ten one. I like to use hundred ten one.
1: Right, okay. Okay, so explain like what that is, and then and then how does that fifty ten one or hundred ten one then apply to security practitioners?
0: So if you think about how every organization has their number of employees. And you support that, you know, you've got an IT department that supports them, supports their their, their purposes, you know, their, their work, everything that they do. Uh, this metric is about saying for every 50 employees, you may have 10 support staff and one security professional. Now that, that metric alone is an idea that how does that one person support an organization growing? And we all know if you take the typical model going back 10 years when you had employees and you had, what, you had IT staff. It was often a, uh, there was a metric that was hundred employees, one IT staff. Then you have all of these different departments within IT, different organizations, different specialties. And here we are today, where security is a big part of it. So the key thing here is that uh, you know organizations are growing fast. We are hearing reports of uh, more and more acquisitions and mergers on the horizon. All that happening, there's got a lot, going to be a lot of complexity that goes with these things. And uh, to one member of staff in IT, out of that metric of 50 10, one, is not going to grow as fast as we want them to. So they're not going to grow into more numbers. They're not going to get partner organizations to partner with them. They're not going to have all of that happen overnight. That's going to be all down to communicating clearly and concisely and making sure we address what's needed. What does have to happen is that one person has to be a thought leader and a security champion, sorry, a subject matter expert who builds security champions in every department. So when we think about creating a security function, a security steering committee, security sits in different boards, for example, the architecture review board, business steering, business continuity steering committee, and all these different committees that get created. You're spreading security awareness there. You still can't be there if you're the one. And you're not growing fast enough to address all of this change. So we have to build security champions in all these different departments. And that's why I I believe that having a security champion who knows in every team, every department, in every specialty, all around the organization, who knows that we have to take security seriously. Have we done this? Okay, we're doing this new thing. We're building a new service for our customers uh what about security how much of that needs to be i am the responsible one that goes to the security steering committee from our our department uh let me make sure that we've ticked and not and addressed all of those important elements that are a security risk in our initiative and take that and report it that's that's important so the one being that one isn't you know it goes i think that one person 50 10 one that security individual has got to be the biggest influencer above everything one of his biggest skills or her skills has to be an influencer
1: and that one number that we're talking about like that's a pretty big job for someone right which is probably then creates that burnout that we've been talking about is that is that correct
0: yeah absolutely definitely and when problems happen incidents happen security incidents and pressures grow to you know, some people handle a some organizations handle a security incident by having a, a war room call every hour while it's going on. Now that's that can be productive, it can also be counterproductive, especially when you also have this group that need to be in these calls, but also just additional people of high ranking importance. All of it does it does do one thing for sure, whether it's good or not, is pressure. And when this kind of pressure comes, it's easy for someone who's organized to become disorganized or unorganized, and, you know, lose their flow, lose their natural flow. And the pressure comes, and the burnout comes, and people get fed up because they have a heated conversation, heat of the moment, in, you know, in an organization, they think all of those hours and hours of spending time, fighting fires, keeping the lights on, have now just been unappreciated by one or two sentences. And you think, you know, that's that's, that's a shame, because you've probably got a really talented person there. If leadership focused strongly on looking after them, they could really be that next next leader of the organization, you know. But uh, these things happen, and these are things that can cause burnout.
1: So just so I have this right, you've got one security person that has a big responsibility that has to, like you said, the 50-10-1, uh, they have a lot of ground to cover. Then along comes an incident, which happens all the time. They've got to deal with it. They've got to manage staff they then go to respond to every single person that's hitting them up in the organisation. But then along comes some executive that has no real clue what's going on says a couple of throwaway lines in their eyes but then that security person gets offended to be like, hang on a second, I've been sitting here for days, weeks, years, like giving my soul to this organization to make sure that we're not breached. And you've just said something, that's completely undermined who I am as a person, my professional capability. And then as a result, and they're already wrung out by this point already because they're tired, they've had to be, be on calls all night because of the incident. And then as a result, they leave. Is that sort of in a very fast way, the chain of events that we're sort of seeing in our space?
0: Yeah, definitely. Very often it happens a lot. And I think that's what happens. People just decide they need a fresh start and they just go. And because the industry is so um, accommodating to those that refresh, and it is, it, it's uh, it's it's quite common.
1: Okay, so I, I totally agree with you. Now, because they need they need a fresh start, I get that. But then, what is what does that sort of do then to the endurance then of that? company because it's like okay well we've had this person in but now we've like I said the executive comes in says a throwaway line they're offended they leave it doesn't really help anyone though in the end. So what's your thinking around that?
0: Yeah this is it now this is this is what organizations have to improve their processes of continuous improvement, you know, lessons learned and things like that. If they don't address those kind of typical principles which you can get out of any framework for any type, you know organizational governance framework or anything if they don't use these good practices if we just call them that then they'll never learn from these things you know you'll find that individuals like this leave and there hasn't been enough knowledge sharing uh, there's there's gaps and for a good while individuals who are still in the organizations will say oh but this person knew that they've left now they didn't hand it over but you know I often say that excuse only works for a little while and then you have to start saying that you do know because people can't get away with that but what happens is and I say people can't get away with it. I'm talking about the people who are making the excuses now because somebody left and they think they don't know how to do something. But why are they being asked to do something? Because the organization needs something. And it limits the organization's growth. And that's a key problem. The whole idea is why we do things in the first place, because we either have to do it because of some external compliance or it's a corporate policy and it supports organizational growth. These things do. You know, there's, there's these things, these things limit, these things limit and hinder that growth and that success.
1: Would you say security departments within internal organizations probably cop this sort of stuff the most rather than, I don't know, finance or human resources or something like that? And if so, why is that? Is it because they have the most amount of pressure on their shoulders because they are responsible potentially their the ceo gets fired because there's a breach and then that's the end of that guy's career after 40 years
0: i think there's a good percentage of pressure that is self self-applied you know we have pressure but it's not all i mean if my if i use finance as a comparison finance guys are always looking for some reason to either cut a cost each year you know where can i save on opex this year it'll support my goals And you're looking at it thinking, where am I gonna do that for you? Am I gonna cut ahead? Am I gonna do that? What are you gonna do, right? That's their key thing. You give them that's a quick win for them. They're not often always involved in an organizational growth initiative. Perhaps a CFO will be if it's an acquisition, but um, the rest of his his structure isn't going to be. So what is their pressure? To keep the house clean, look after finances. Their pressure is there. It's there in many ways, but... um, you know, there's, they, have, uh, they have less places where they can actually go and show good, good um, flowery wins, whereas InfoSec have got a lot of options. I think we've got a lot of options to show, especially when things happen. When things happen externally, we have opportunities to show how that could affect us and how we've done something that automates a response to it or we've made a change, you know, when things happen, like a pre-qualification questionnaire, we're asked questions, we get to ad- advertise why we're gonna look good in that pre-qualification questionnaire. There is so much flexibility in our industry that we can ease this balance of pressure easily. And I think the pressure, 50% is us applying it on ourselves because we have to draw the lines, we talk about balance, we have to, you know, make sure that everybody understands their responsibility. Security is an organizational responsibility. You know, it doesn't just sit with one individual. Um, you know, it's 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 how we how we run that hat. You know, if we, if we live it in a silo, the pressure is always going to be on us and we're just going to have, pro- have those kind of problems, right?
1: So how do we sort of ease the pressure then? So someone listening to this is like, yeah, I've definitely put pressure on myself. And I get that, of course. People have a level of integrity. They want to do as they say they're going to do. And I, I understand that. We need people like that. But then... Of course, you can take it too far where then it becomes detrimental potentially to your mental health and your physical health or you're not enjoying what you're doing every day and you always resent it. How do we sort of manage that balance perhaps?
0: So we've got to draw the line to start off with. It comes down, that's got to be the first thing. Drawing the line as in, you know, putting enough hours in that's necessary and, you know, draw the line so you get enough time to have rest. your your day's got so many hours to it. You know, how much of that is going to be your employer's time? How much of it's going to be yours? And in yours, what are you going to do that matters to you, that interests you, that boosts you and motivates you? Is it learn something? Is it uh, exercise? You know, all those things that that, that uh, trigger confidence. Uh, for me, it's exercise as well as learn something. And these things trigger confidence. They, they trigger a mode of theta in my mind where increased cognitive function helps me. And if everybody finds their own way to do that, that balance, that line is really important. Now, then when you are in that working time and you are with your employer, it's important to make sure that security's position isn't hindered within the structure of the organization because otherwise, now this is this is important because if it is and you've identified it is via gap assessment, then your efforts from this point onwards are always going to get filtered and hindered so for example security reporting on security posture to an i.t director for example this this could be a problem if the i.t director for example thinks that this is too adverse we can't report it like this or you know i had to i had to draft other people to do other things because it was really important we couldn't address those security risks now they're still here for three months it's going to look bad can we word it differently this is not good but it's common I've seen, this This happens, right? I've seen this and spoken to people who've all encountered these kind of problems. This, this happens. So what does that mean? It means you need to then strategically look for the right channel to advertise security risk, uh, influence, talk, debate, have those tough discussions early on to make sure that security is, every word that is said on a security report is meeting the right audience immediately. And then after that, focus on making sure you're providing solutions with problems so that it's then a collaborative, well-thought-out, organization-wide plan that's brought in by everybody to address these problems, and you can then measure their success and deliver a program.
1: So one of the things I want to speak to you now is about hiring managers, that from the discussion that we had, that you're you're sort of indicating that potentially, and some of the time, uh, hiring managers just put people in a job whether they are the right fit or not. So how does this sort of impact a business long-term?
0: I think that's uh, <clears throat> that actually contributes, for one, <clears throat> to burnout. It can because, you see, a lot of the time we talk about security being high-vis in an organization. And I think for me personally, it's one of the things I've really enjoyed about it. You know, when I was in IT operational management, IT was always often seen as this thing, you know, we need it wish we didn't have to spend so much on it, but we have it and we need it. But then all of a sudden jumping into security, it became so high viz. Now the thing is, why is that? Because some third party or independent board level strategic review took place and the organization has been told you need to look at security a bit better, hire somebody, meet with that person every month, um, and, uh, obtain a report and assess risk posture. That means they're being told they need to hire a security professional. And then they have to meet with them all the time. So they go and hire one. They don't necessarily always know what they should hire, what that person should have. It becomes a very important tick box exercise for them to then say on the next quarterly board review that, yeah, yeah, we've got a security person in place now, and they're doing things. So to avoid them from making that mistake, to prevent them from making that mistake, and to do it right, we have to educate them. Now, the thing is this repurpose organizational repurpose is really common you know we find hiring managers is repurposing somebody without the qualifications without the experience um, without the collaborative and communicative approach because you know what if you take qualifications and experience together but you find you've a person's gone both but they're absolutely weak on communication and collaboration it's pointless they're going to be another person who's not going to succeed it's going to have to be a combination, and that's the thing. Hiring managers need to know what they're looking for and need to be educated on that, need to get ex- third-party expertise to help them rather than think they can just repurpose somebody who wants to try security now, who's installed a few firewalls. Yep, they must know security. You know, It's not always a technical thing, as we know, right? There's uh, m- multiple levels, but they, they associate it with security. Ah, oh, antivirus. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, so... Who's our IT guy who installs it? Okay, maybe they want to do security. <laughs> you know, this, this stuff, they need to know what they're hiring because what have they got to lose if they slow the company down? The hiring managers make a mistake. Somebody comes and tries it for six months, can't handle the pressure, then leaves. They're back to where they started six months later, no change. And the third-party auditors are back to say, how did that go?
1: Yeah, not real well. Uh, so... What, I, what keeps coming up in my mind as you're speaking... So we've got to make is, sure it's
0: not just a tick box exercise for people, you know?
1: Absolutely. And I totally agree with you. So what keeps coming up in my mind as you're speaking is, is a few scenarios. So one would be an internal scenario. For example, I don't know, you've got Miranda and Josie. Miranda leaves because she's burnt out and she hates everyone and she's over that company. But then the hiring manager says to Josie, well, you, you've just got to do this role now. You've got to do two roles because we've got no one else. Would you say that's a very real scenario?
0: Absolutely. It's so common. It is so common. Assume the responsibility, and then we'll see later on. It's like every time somebody actually resigns these days, it becomes a strategic approach to, let's see, do we really need to replace? Let's not just jump and replace. So common these days. It becomes an opportunity for, um, for them to try something different, but they don't necessarily know what they're trying on. Something that is so high risk and uh again we look at burning out uh, the individual that's left over that's remained and assume that role but uh, misguided right that's the thing about being misguided that just there just isn't uh, ownership of that it's so common that organizations make a move to invest in security when something bad happens a ransomware attack you know something through it's always reactive or an incident or, or an audit a third party audit insists going in hire somebody you know you're not going to get an investor in your organization um, until you address some of these goals because it will cost too much to deal with those that they look at your investment and your asking price adversely it happens and they assume the responsibility is very common really common
1: so then i guess on the other side of that is just say they've got a a role that's open in an organization and i mean if you're working in an internal organization it's We've got a role. It goes to talent acquisition. Sometimes they have their own recruitment function or if they can't, they outsource it to a recruitment agency. So you've got a fair few people in this chain then. So what I found in my career sometimes it's like, cool, I'm looking for this person. By the time you get CVs back to you, like this isn't at all what I asked. So I feel like the, the requirements completely change or they've spoken to someone and like this person will do, will they do keyword matching on the CV? Can you do this? And I've used that technology, which it completely doesn't even apply but then I guess, like you said, it comes back to the the tick in the box. Okay, well, we've got 10 CVs to you and you haven't hired one of the, the 10 people that we've given you. And so then I guess talent acquisitions under this pressure because it's like, okay, well, that role uh, with Sawan's security function has been open for six months and we haven't been able to fill it and we've gone to external agencies and they coming not be able to fill it. So I guess it's sort of there's a real big disconnect, would you say, between a hiring manager, so I don't know, An internal security person, someone in their team leaves that then has to go to talent acquisition that then goes to a recruitment agency to go and find this person in the market. But I feel that a lot of the time, what you sort of get back in some cases isn't sort of what you put forward initially.
0: Yes, very true. I think it's a, you know, recruitment is a very, very broad thing. And uh, there's a lot of people out there who are involved in recruitment in the business of recruitment who may not be going through specific uh, or specific training themselves or or self-invested training to be completely clear on what does that mean? What does a spec mean that was initially written by the hiring manager? What does that actually mean and how do I assess them? And, you know, it's not necessarily always there. The buck doesn't stop with them. It's not necessarily their fault. I think, you know, we have organizations with HR business partners as well, you know, internally. So an organization might insist that, no, we don't go out to an external partner unless we really – prove we can't succeed this way. So let's just advertise your spec ourselves and filter them to you. I mean, I've been in positions before where the perfect candidate for our organization has been filtered out. And it it just so happens that I found out I found out later on that that candidate was filtered out. And I go and ask for them to be resubmitted into the pool for review. And they come in or join the organization and they absolutely transform the organization. Because the person who filtered them out didn't really identify what their skills were perfectly or whether they were a perfect fit for the role. There's these layers, right? And we all have to go through these layers, whether we're a candidate looking for a job or uh, we're uh, you know, hiring for one. They're there and sometimes you get an incredible experience with some people who really find you some great, great candidates and some, you know, even add some uh, in, some interesting value to it that you didn't think about because of their candidate's experience, which they articulate in the conversation with you. I think that in information security, it's good to partner with a third party. I'm, I'm definitely a fan of that. And it's about, as an organization, as a hiring manager, picking an organization, agreeing whatever your percentage of terms of what business are gonna be, and work with that organization that you know will find you good candidates. You save time and you'll talk to some really smart people because there's a lot of them out there. You know, We know some key facts, right? Staff turnaround is fast in InfoSec and we know that there's a lot of people out there who are looking for jobs and also more roles getting created. So if these things are happening and they're and they're facts, then we know that we should definitely look very well. If we don't look clearly, then we're gonna be we're gonna hinder our own objectives and slow ourselves down. All we need to do is look correctly, and that means make that nice strong partnership between who you're gonna work with to look at those CVs. And it starts from us internally writing a good job spec.
1: It's so true. And one of the things that came up for me as you were speaking was they got filtered out, right? So just say hypothetically it's like they did this whole process and it's like three months later they really need that person in that role. They filtered the wrong person out but they didn't have you to even notice that, that person was filtered out. And then probably by that point they're so desperate for someone they just put anyone then in that role. Would you say that that's the case? Because they're just so frantic to just get someone like bums on seats by this point.
0: Absolutely, I've seen complete contrast difference between people who they could have hired and have hired or have hired and then hired again later to replace. It's been unbelievable. And and that particular example I gave you, you know, it was unbelievable. It only happened because I actually thought about this individual, approached him on LinkedIn and said, you know, we have a role. Uh, I feel you'd be a great fit for it if you'd be interested in applying. The answer was, I did. <laughs> and oh I my approached the HR <laughs> did you get an application and this individual said yes filtered out said, okay
1: but what was their reasoning do that? for that though
0: uh reasoning just felt it was a, it wasn't a good match but you know this is a person who entered the organization got promoted within the first three months and is transforming the organization literally one of the best business partners but one of the best partners to the business the organization is seen that happens and i think that's that's it's a common thing. I mean, it's it's about the challenges we face when applying for a role as well, right? From a candidate perspective. And again, it comes down to networking is really important. Would you think that applying for a role and potentially contacting anybody you know in the organization on LinkedIn to just say I've just applied for a role, by the way, you know, that these kind of things, these added efforts, they do help, I think.
1: So when the HR person turned around and said they just weren't the right fit, culturally or more so like skill set? skill set see that's when it gets really interesting then so they come but wouldn't they be able to see that there was a clear match if you're saying that they were perfect basically for the role and they've transformed the whole company in three months like to me it just seems like a no-brainer so i'm curious to understand what their thinking process was and their own internal policies because i it does it does seem like do you think it was a a an oversight that was obvious or do you think that they completely dropped the ball on this one
0: yeah I, I think um in reality we aren't asking the right people to look at the right look at this kind of cv you know the, the person wasn't equipped with was it the five minute conversation we're hiring for, for, for this type of role can you uh, be the person who filled the cvs you know there's no training involved there there's no there's no real guidance involved there these hr business partners are often recruiting you know multiple roles for an organization and they are not specialties in all of those areas to know what type of skills an organization needs they look at a cv and they score it down or score it up based on a quick glance and uh previous job titles perhaps which has kind of an obvious thing and um a few acronyms perhaps but you know how do you score somebody when you when you make that your specialty as a hr business partner and you're dealing with all types of roles in a day, how do you become good at all of them? It's tricky, right? You can't. It's, it's got you know, it's it's got to be uh, supported. I think with somebody else looking at them, or or just take that take that strong responsibility away from just absolutely dropping them down, filtering them down. You know, it's you know, it's uh, it could also be down the volume. But there could have been there could have been a lot of them and it just it just becomes necessary to have somebody filter it down before it goes up to the more busy you know the more focused people on the role they draw it's possible
1: so would you say the scenarios that we just discussed now and the hiring process internally externally that because of these situations that we come across that impacts the endurance then of a security career
0: yes definitely they can they certainly can, you know, a security career needs to be supported throughout as well. It's a two way thing. You know, when a hiring manager brings in a new onboards a new security professional. For me, how they introduce that individual into the organization, it all starts from there. The Person comes in, they've left the job or if they haven't left the job. They've just joined your job because they didn't have one for a while. Whatever reason they've joined you, they've made a commitment to join you. And it's a big commitment. It's emotional, and you want to know that you've done made the right choice. So then you can go and give them your hundred percent. So organization onboarding is really important, and it comes down to the HR experience from interviews, from onboarding, doing things on time, in time. You know, the experience, the induction, to then meeting your spending time with your um, your uh, hiring manager and and uh, how that hiring manager introduces you around the organization. This is the new security guy. Or, you know, this is our information security manager who will be looking after privacy and security initiatives going forward, be working in my team. That's a big difference. I know which one I would prefer, you know. And if you have that done multiply, multiple times around an organization to different departments, and you had the first intro- introduction done, it's very, very underwhelming. So I think all of that counts and it adds and starts to chip and chime for an individual from the start and uh, or, or it can empower them and make them feel, wow, this is wonderful. I am so happy to be here.
1: So, Swan, so you are a leader in our space. Just straight up, like, what are we doing wrong? Like, What do we absolutely need to change? Well,
0: I would say there's a lot we need to change or should I say evolve? <laughs> I was going to
1: say there's going to be a caveat <laughs> on that, just maybe one or two things. Yes.
0: Yeah, you know, it's evolved, I think. You know, we've got to, as leaders, as also, you know, at all levels, at all role levels, we've got to keep on evolving. Focus on things like continuous improvement, continuous gap assessment. Focus on goals for ourselves, for our organization, align them mutually, and just keep on thinking, how can we achieve those? How do we prove we achieve those? And uh, enjoy it. Because if you don't enjoy it, then it just becomes a job and we all need a job but ideally we'd love a role right and if we keep on focusing on continuous improvement and measure it and call up people when it's not happening and what it costs if we don't do something then this this you know we can move ahead with things if we don't say things at the right time you know if we don't call a spade a spade then uh, it just slows down hinders and we lose opportunities
1: so I guess on that that note would you say that we as individuals whether senior or junior doesn't matter at this at this point but do, would you say that we're owning enough responsibility for enduring our own careers because like you said like we just don't want a job for being a job right like we want to be able to grow and develop and learn new things and and work through the ranks if that's something that someone wants
0: Absolutely and you know I love that question because in the past 18 months I saw so many opportunities which I've uh, I've mentioned to people in the organization, and it's uh, really interesting because you know we have ultimately we have enough responsibility to strengthen our own careers, and this is how, as an example, there's a lot of things that you know if you talk about certification for a moment, um, there's a lot of things that a lot of it costs a lot of money, you know, and that's why I said said before it's important to pick which one you want that's going to really benefit you and is worth that investment, and. Uh, you know, do just what, do the ones that matter. Do what matters. If you're going to do them, do the ones that matter They'll help you, and you can measure how they're going to help you because you know what that investment costs and what it's going to give you in return, and see if it's happening for you. That's one thing. But the world changed, you know, the past two years, and in that, in that said, a lot of things happened. I mean, I saw Microsoft giving away their qualification vouchers literally for the first time ever. Literally, you attend a webinar, you attend some of their Ignite events, they'll give you an exam attempt of your choice. They're giving that away. They're giving you opportunities to learn. I saw um, other organizations like Cato Networks offering certification programs for people as new initiatives. There's so many opportunities for people to learn to enhance themselves. Cato Networks is an organization that's providing a, a, a networking technology. So that's and a very in-demand one. So these are opportunities for people to get better at what they do. I find whenever I introduce a new technology into an organization as well, when I say it's going to cost this much money I'm also bolting on the factors of training so we have to make sure as leaders as also that we introduce the opportunity for people to learn and make it a compliance thing to stay in control or working with that technology or that, that you keep on learning. Proofpoint for example email for defense technology partner of ours they have often they have this proof point uh, learning platform. Lots of exams and qualifications there. You know these things are there if you look for them. If people look for them. I give you an example. When I was working for an airport, I applied for a advertised Cisco scholarship, which they had announced, and um, I got it. They threw exam vouchers at me and some training, and um, that was great. I then won one from EC Council, which is their hacker hacker training. You know certified ethical hacker practical training i didn't pay for those i applied for those because i saw an opportunity and i got those and that's just me being a life learner doing my thing right and it was a fully funded ec council initiative so these things they're out there they're out there now and there we so therefore i do say we own as individuals enough responsibility to endure our own careers and by doing our part we know that anything extra that we get because of you know, an approach from our organization or a request from us to our organization is complementive on top of that. But it's really down to us.
1: So then what about as leaders then? I mean, you're a leader. Would you say that leaders in our space are then doing enough to ensure longevity for careers for their people?
0: Definitely not um not always doing enough Uh, i see lots of scenarios where leaders won't know what you should be doing you should know what you should be doing in our industry specifically especially since we're the ones who are supposed to continue to focus on bringing relevance in the room right it's that thing about being the most knowledgeable person in the room becomes the most powerful person in the room because they know the most about what's being spoken about on that day in that room so i say that because. If we want to be good at what we do, we need to then approach our leaders sometimes and say, right, this is a big area of focus. People are buying lots of software as a service applications and connecting them all up together. Apparently, the connectivity, which is known as an API, is going to be a massive threat vector according to Gartner and Forrester reports. We need to learn about that. Then you get the attention of your leader and you should fight for the support for that because what does it cost to the business if we don't focus on strengthening this area? Sometimes the leaders will come and they'll offer this initiative. I certainly would. I'll introduce these things, but it's not always going to be that way. It's a two-way thing. Right? I think that uh, as leaders, we're not mostly doing enough. We hire somebody based on what their CV said they could do at that time, and we'll tolerate what they're going to continue to do. And then when they, there is something new or our world changes or our technology stack changes because of a, a, another silo-driven transformation experience, we deem... These professionals who we hired two years prior, perhaps, right, you don't have the skill set. So we need to go out. I mean, in my view, if that was me, I would feel, well, that's not good. I do. I'm constantly learning, you know. (laughs) But uh, the the assumption will be that, yeah, this is new now. This is different. You know, who are we going to need to bring in? Who will we partner with for that? And that's the thing. But that's really the responsibility, partially, is with the individual, isn't it? To say, keep on top of it and be talking about apis for example before the new initiative that's all api driven even comes into the organization so that your leaders then going to say oh you know our security guys talk about apis all the time yeah i understand ceo you want to actually connect that to that source of data understood yeah you should talk to him or her
1: Mm, yeah so true and i mean as a leader, you've got to empower your people, but it's still up to individuals to drive that forward. I always say to people, like, no one's going to give you a career and a silver platter. So if you want to go for that promotion, you've got to go out and get it yourself. You've got to go and build those relationships and those networks with the people in your organization or outside of your organization to get that. No one's just going to come up to you and be like, hey, Swan, here's a job and that that's the end of it. Like, There's no way that it's going to happen. So I totally love all the points that you raised today. So I really, really appreciate your thoughts, your your understanding of the industry quite holistically as well. Uh, so I really appreciate that. If people have a question for you that I didn't ask you, how can they go about getting in contact with you? Thank
0: you. Really enjoyed being on the show. Thanks for thanks for having me. I um, I'm available on LinkedIn. Um, you know, please connect with me. I'd love to hear from you and uh, collaborate so please do
1: awesome well thank you so much again sawan and i can't wait to get you back on the show for another episode thanks very much
0: that will be my pleasure completely absolutely have a great time thank you
1: thanks for tuning in we hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.